Like I mentioned earlier, we're going to be starting a new series today. It's going to go for 10 weeks. Yes, it's a long time. Uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, let me just quick show hands. Let's take a little survey around the room. Who here loves to read? Okay, that's good. Hands down. Who here can read? You know how to do it. All right, that's good. That's good. Who here hates reading with the fiery passion of a thousand suns? Okay, that's fair. We, we see those hands too. Uh, reading may not be your favorite thing. But here's why I do think it's important. You don't have to go out and read all these books, you know, out here in the world if you don't want to. But this book, called the Bible, it matters. I know it's a real hot take to hear at church why the Bible matters. And I don't want to beat you up, but I want you to think for just a second. Don't answer out. When's the last time you opened your Bible not at church? Like not alongside Pastor Perry or with me or Birch, like when's the last time on your own with no one making you, you were like, you know what, I should probably read my Bible. I saw a hand go up, like somebody was like, I know when I did that. But you may be in the camp of like, I really don't remember if I'm honest. And hear me, I'm not trying to beat you up or make you feel bad. But I am trying to encourage you to understand that this book, it matters. And you may hear people say, it's archaic, it's outdated, it has nothing to say about modern life. These people who wrote it, you know, they didn't understand the world today. And I'm just here to tell you, I don't believe any of that. I believe this book contains truth, truth that is applicable for us today. And some people will go, well, it's hard to understand. I agree, there are pieces of this book that are weird Mom, the pastor said the Bible's weird. Yeah, there are parts of it that are like they're weird and unclear. And there are other parts that really are not unclear. They're very straightforward and they're easy for us to grasp. The reality is some of us are just too lazy to open our Bibles and read. So together for the next 10 weeks, we're just going to work through a book of the Bible. What's the topic? Whatever that book covers. And as you could probably guess, we're going to read the book of... You nailed it. I knew you guys could read. You proved it. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you, grab one off that red cart. Like right now is a great time to do that. And uh, it'll be helpful for you if, if you want to go ahead and turn there. In this Bible, it's on page 974. We're going to be in the book of James tonight. But before I start talking about it, I want to recommend a resource to you. I am not arrogant enough to believe I am the ultimate authority on literally anything except pain and watching my football team lose. So... I'm really good at that. But beyond that, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the book of James. And a resource I want to uh, make you aware of is this group called The Bible Project. Maybe you've seen some of their videos. Uh, I particularly want to encourage you to go check them out on YouTube. Uh, your generation spends a crazy amount of time on YouTube. If you just search for The Bible Project, you'll see they do a great job of breaking down books of the Bible, different topics, different themes. And so I thought we would just take maybe two minutes to watch a little bit of what they have to say about the book of James, and then we'll get in and start breaking it down. Check this out. The letter of James, or at least that's his name in English. If you look in the Greek, you will see that his name is Jacobas, which translates his Hebrew name Yaakov. And that's why most ancient and modern translations render his name as Jacob, and that's what we're going to call him in this video. Now, there are many Jacobs in the New Testament. Two of them belong to Jesus' inner circle of the twelve disciples, but this letter comes from the Jacob, who was the half-brother of Jesus himself. Now, we learn this Jacob's story from the book of Acts and from Paul's letters. 
After Peter moved on from Jerusalem to go start new churches, Jesus' half-brother Jacob rose to prominence as a leader in the mother church in Jerusalem. It was made up mostly of Messianic or Christian Jews. This was the first Christian community ever, and we know that it fell on hard times during the 20 years that Jacob was its leader. There was a famine that led to great poverty in the region, and these Messianic Jews were being persecuted by Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. But through it all, Jacob was known as a pillar of the Jerusalem church. He was also known as a peacemaker who led with wisdom and courage until he was tragically murdered. And in this book, we have the legacy of Jacob's teaching and wisdom condensed into a short and very powerful work. The book begins like a letter. He greets all the Messianic Jews who were living outside the land of Israel. But this does not read like one of Paul's letters where he addresses specific problems in one local church. Rather, this book is a summary of Jacob's sage wisdom for any and every community of Jesus' followers. And Jacob's goal isn't to teach new theological information. Rather, he wants to get in your business and challenge how you live. Jacob's wisdom has been heavily influenced by two sources. The first is Jesus' teaching about life in the kingdom of God, especially the Sermon on the Mount, which he's constantly echoing and quoting in the book. The second key influence is the biblical wisdom book of Proverbs, especially the poems in Proverbs 1 through 9. Jacob literally grew up with Jesus and with the book of Proverbs, and so now his own teaching sounds like them. It's stamped by their language and imagery. The book consists of short, challenging wisdom speeches that are full of metaphors and easy-to-memorize one-liners. And in essence, Jacob is calling the Messianic community to become truly wise by living according to Jesus' summary of the Torah, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. All right, so <clears throat> anybody ever see any of their videos before? Anybody? A couple of us. Okay, handful of us. If you're like me and you get easily distracted, I find those videos helpful because there's always like a little scribble, something going on. I can kind of watch what's going on and I can be listening. There's a lot to unpack there. James, or they call him Jacob. Don't get confused. We're going to call him James because that's what is in our Bibles. James was the brother of Jesus. And so he had a pretty good perspective on who Jesus was. Uh, he was a big time leader in the early church. We think about Peter, we think about Paul. James belongs in that same category. He was a, he was a big leader. Uh, and you heard him say he was tragically murdered. We'll talk about that at some point during the series. But this man was faithful to follow Christ and to lead others. And you heard him say that a lot of this book that we're going to study these next couple months is, is influenced by the Sermon on the Mount. So again, if you're one of those people, you're like, man, I haven't really read my Bible lately. Something about, you know, that is not sitting well with me. Where should I start? Read the book of James with us as we're doing this, go check out the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Very practical. It's Jesus telling us basically how to live. It's good. Uh, and then also Proverbs. And there is a chapter in Proverbs for every day of the month. So if you're like, I can just read one chapter in Proverbs every day. I can do that. Do that. That's great. Uh, that's a lot of the influence from uh, what, what we're going to see from James. Uh, tonight, we're going to look at James 1, verses 1 through 18. Basically, we're going to take 10 weeks. There's five chapters. We'll split each chapter in half, if that makes sense to you. So tonight, uh, we're actually going to cover kind of a lot of different things. You see you've got five blanks. I'm going to ask you five questions, and they're going to pertain to kind of some different things because James covers a wide gamut of things as we get into it. Uh, verse 1, which we won't really touch on, talks about he's writing to the church uh, scattered abroad. And then he kind of gets into his first piece here in James 1, verses 2 through 4. James writes this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, 
Consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. When things go wrong in your life, get excited about it. Is that you? No, it's not me either. When things go wrong, we tend to get angry, we tend to get frustrated, we tend to give up, we tend to lash out. Think back even over this weekend as you've been around your family or your friends and things maybe haven't gone perfectly. Think of how you responded. You probably weren't like, oh boy, trouble, thank you Jesus, what a blessing. But that's what James is telling us. He says when, when there's trouble in your life, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Joy is not something that's impacted by circumstance. Joy endures. So we should be joyful when things go wrong. How can we do that? Well, we keep our focus on Jesus. That's a huge part of it. Uh, it says that when your faith is tested, your endurance can grow. So you want that to grow. So the first question I want you to consider tonight, this is number one. How do I respond to hardship? How do I respond to hardship? This is a question you have to ask yourself. When things go wrong in your life, how are you going to react? To my brother or sister in Christ, I want you to understand, people are watching you. Like, if you are known as a Christ follower, and, and you should be, I hope that the people in your life, they know, like, hey, man, she loves Jesus. Man, he's serious about his faith. When things go sideways in your life, people are going to watch how you respond. Does your faith actually inform what you do in that moment? Or do you just act like everybody else? How do I respond to hardship? Maybe you've been through some of that. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've experienced just some grief, just some tragedy in your life. How does your faith impact your response, your reaction? Is it any different because you know Jesus? I hope so. Something to consider. Let's keep reading. James 1, verses 5 through 8. It says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is, is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. You heard in that video that a lot of what James is talking about here comes from Proverbs. Proverbs is a ton about wisdom. So he, he launches into a piece here talking about if you need wisdom, ask God. So I'd ask you to think about this. First of all, what is wisdom? Is it just knowledge? I would say no. Anybody can accumulate knowledge. Wisdom is a little bit more than that. Wisdom is the skillful and right application of knowledge. So like, you can know the right thing to do and do the wrong thing. Wisdom is knowing that right thing and doing it, applying that knowledge correctly to a situation. So if you need wisdom, which all of us need wisdom, whether you're the youngest person in the room, oldest person in the room, we all need wisdom. It's one of the best things you can ask God for. Solomon who was king in the Old Testament, was told, you can ask for anything. God said, literally ask me for anything, I'll give it to you. And he asked God for wisdom, not riches, not fame. He asked for wisdom, and God said, you've chosen the best thing that you could ask for. So high school student, 
You may get a bad rap from, from people even in my generation and older, like, these, these kids today, they just don't know nothing. They're just blah, 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 blah. And they dog on you, they hate on you. I don't think that's fair. I think you have a ton of value. You're incredibly intelligent. You're passionate. I love it. That's why I love what I do. The adults in this room feel the same way. We're not just here for any other reason. We love hanging out with you. You inspire us. But I want to encourage you at the same time, ask God for wisdom. Wisdom comes with time, but wisdom also comes from God. But people will look for wisdom a lot of different places. Some people will look for it in the internet. God help you if you are looking on the internet or in the comments section. Like you can think you're going to find wisdom even just from your friends at the lunch table or your buddies on the team. Like wisdom, true wisdom comes from God. So ask yourself this. This is number two for your handout. Where am I seeking wisdom? Where am I seeking wisdom? And really there's another question kind of buried in there. Like are you even seeking wisdom? Are you just kind of floating through life, taking it as it comes? You're like, yeah, I mean, it's all good, whatever. And if you are seeking wisdom, like, where are you looking for that? We should be asking God, because according to James 1.5, if you need it, God will give it to you. Then he goes on and says, like, don't don't do that thing where you kind of ask. You're like, I mean, God, maybe, maybe you can give it to me. Maybe you can't. I don't know. Like, ask. Try God in this and see what happens. I've been following Jesus for half of my life. And I can just see his fingerprints all over my life where I have asked him to move. I've asked for wisdom, and I can see how he's responded. If you've got somebody in your life, whether that's your, your group leader tonight, you could ask them, or a parent, a grandparent back home, ask them, hey, how has God moved in your life? How has God given you wisdom to navigate the different situations of your life? And just listen. And listening is such a key part of acquiring wisdom. Let's keep going. We, there's a lot to cover here in, in this first part. Uh, James 1, verses 9 through 11. said, believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. If you're sitting here like, yeah, take that rich people! I have some news to break to you. You live in America. I don't want to make dangerous assumptions, but I'm pretty certain that most of you have a roof over your head. Uh, You probably have more even than just the clothes on your back. You probably already ate some food today, and some of us, if we're honest, are already thinking about what we're going to eat when we get out of here. You're rich. You just really are. Well, I don't have the latest style. I've got the knockoff brand. I don't have the, the latest and greatest. I've... You're rich. You're rich. You've you got to take a, a bigger perspective here. We love to think that we're the little underdog who doesn't have anything, but that's just not true. I want to show you something, and you can find a lot of different iterations of this on the internet from different years. This is called the Global Wealth Pyramid. And again, hear me. There are different iterations. You can find some with different stats. I'm not here to argue the actual particulars of this, but I want to illustrate something for you here. Is that the bulk of the wealth does lay there at the top, okay? So people with more than a million dollars, you're like, not me, not my family. Okay, I'm, I'm with you. I'm happy to see that point. But if you look at that next block right there, if your family has between $100,000 and a million dollars, you're still in the top like 8 9% of the world. You're like, we ain't got that kind of money. I mean, we, you know, we, we buy the off-brand stuff. I hear you, but even having a home, like if you own a home, your family owns a home, you're here. 
Like, you, like, we have more than we realize in America, but what we like to do is focus on all we don't have, which I would tell you is not wise. You probably need to go back to that last section, ask God for some wisdom. We have a lot. And you can see that the bulk of the world out there, like 75%, I mean, they're, they're living with very little. Why am I saying this? Am I trying to make you feel bad about what you have? No, I'm not. I'm trying to help you understand that when we read a passage like this and we want to, you know, say, well, you know, I guess I'm super blessed because I'm poor. You're, you're not. You're, you're probably not actually in this poor category. You've got a lot more going for you and should probably be more thankful than you even realize. Raise your hand if you've, if, if you've ever been out of the country to a third world country and you've seen some true poverty. Anybody in this room? If you have not, let me just encourage you. Brookwood has a ton of mission trips that we take all around the world. I encourage you, get on one of those or get on one when you get to college one day. Go and see how some of the rest of the world lives. It'll change your life. Uh, for me, this happened in 2004. Uh, this is a picture of a place called, and I'm going to butcher this, so please forgive me, those of you who are Spanish-speaking friends, uh, Terracillos. Uh, this is a community just outside the capital of Costa Rica. This is a community built literally on a garbage pile. And you can see, I mean, all these pieces of tin that are slapped together for both walls and roof with dirt floors. You see all the bootleg power lines that have been run. These people live in true poverty. I've been in some of these homes where there is literal toilet waste running right outside the front door and sometimes even inside. Like you see some of this stuff and you go, holy moly, maybe I don't have it so bad after all. We are, in fact, rich. And so I come back to this passage. Those who are rich, we should boast that God has humbled us. Because all that we have, it's fading away. The nicest things that you have now, they're not going to matter and they're not going to last. And so I want you to consider this question. Number three, how do I view all that I have? How do I view all that I have? It's dangerous living in America because you can fall into this trap of the American dream. Hey, I gotta, I gotta make good grades so I can get into a good school, so I can get a good job, so I can make good money, so I can, what? Like be fulfilled? Man, the gospel's so much more rich than that. Life is more than just the stuff that you have. And I think James is trying to warn us about our attitude towards the things that we have. Some of us tonight need to go home to our parents and say, thank you so much for providing all that you have provided for us. Some of us need to go home and thank God for all that he has given to us. Some of us need to maybe detach from some of our possessions, some of our fancy toys. And I'm not just talking to the students here, adults, that's us too. We love the latest and greatest. We've got to consider how we view all the things that we have. They're gifts that God has given us. We can't let them run away with us. Let's keep going. We've got a couple more things to hit here. James 1, 12 through 15, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation afterward they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. I want you to consider this, and we'll come back and look at the passage. How do I respond to temptations? Number four. How do I respond to temptation? All of us in this room face temptation at some point. Some of us have faced it today, and you will face it later tonight or tomorrow in the weeks and months to come. 
How you respond to temptation reveals a lot about how seriously you take your relationship with Jesus. When you love somebody, it changes how you respond. I love my wife, so it changes how I respond to not only her, but everyone else that comes across my path in my life. If I love Jesus, that should inform how I respond to literally everything else that comes into my life. And so James talks about patiently enduring testing and and temptation. Most of us, we just don't have a lot of that patience. Patience is in short supply. What is patience? Who, Who can define it for me? I'm a little scared we don't know what patience is. Or we're just too scared to answer out. Yeah. The ability to wait. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's good. I have a three-year-old. Uh, he wants what he wants when he wants it, which is usually like five minutes ago. And so I'll tell him, Judah, you have to be patient. Patience means we wait and we don't get mad and we don't get sad. And he just gives me that look. And I'm like, we'll get there. We'll get there. But we've got to be patient. In that testing, patient in that temptation. And he makes the distinction. God's not the one tempting you. God's not out here trying to trip you up or be like, ah, watch this, we're going to get him. That's not it. And I think this is, this is so well laid out. Temptation comes from our own desires. Everybody in this room, we've got things that we are drawn towards that are not good or healthy or beneficial for us. And you might be drawn towards something that I'm not. And so it's easy for me to be like, man, I can't believe you would struggle with that. Because I don't face that struggle. But then maybe I've got something and you look at it, you're like, I mean, I can't, but he's a pastor. How could he struggle with that? All of us have something that we're tempted to do that is not edifying. It's not beneficial. Temptation comes from our own desires. It says they entice us and they drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin's allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Kind of a poetic way to put it there. Listen, if you always just do what you want to do because it feels good in that moment, it seems right in that moment, you haven't stopped to ask God for wisdom like we talked about a few minutes ago. You're just like, hey, I'm going to do what I do. It's my life. It says your own sinful desires are going to ultimately lead to your death. You're like, well, everybody's going to die. Shouldn't I just do what I want to do now? Talking about more than just physical death, which, yes, all of us one day, you're going to leave this earth. I hope that's not breaking news to you. And I hope it's not soon. But spiritual death, separation from God. I mean, like, if you just do what you want to do your whole life, there's consequences there. So you need to consider how you respond to that temptation. Closing it out here, last little bit that we'll look at tonight. Don't be misled, verse 16. My dear brothers and sisters, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all of creation, became his prized possession. If you've got some good things going in your life, God gave that to you. Whether you acknowledge that God exists or not, you could be the most staunch atheist in this room. And, hey, I love you, and I'm glad you're here. I believe that every good blessing that you have in your life came from God. Now, if you're a Christ follower, I'm hopeful that you are acknowledging that more than just at Thanksgiving. Like, you need to be thankful every day. I, I tend to be a person who can be pretty negative. Uh, some of you have spent some time with me, and you know that. Um, recently, uh, in a conversation with my wife, uh, she hurt my feelings. <laughs> Some of you married people in the room, you you can relate. Uh, But she didn't hurt my feelings because she was being ugly. She hurt my feelings because what she said was true, and I I hadn't realized it. Um, We were were on vacation, and it's funny how things can get, you know, there's friction when you're supposed to be having a good time. 
And I was being very negative. And, and my wife ultimately wound up saying to me later that night as we were kind of in a, a heated discussion, she said, hey, when you're, when you're not happy about something, you make sure everybody around you knows it. And it's really not fun to be around you. Whoo, that hurt, man. Like, I almost cried. Like, it, it hurts my feelings thinking about it now. Oh, I was so mad. I was like, I just got to go for a walk. I can't talk to you right now. But she was right. She was right. I, I, I just, I'm negative, and I just complain, and, I, and no one wants to be around that person. And so since then, I've been trying to, every night, I have a reminder that goes off on my phone, just says, thankful three. Just think of three things that I'm thankful for. Because what it makes me do is it makes me stop and go, God, thank you. You've given me little things. I haven't done it yet today, but you know what I'm going to write? I had donuts this morning. I'm thankful. Thank you. Woo, amen. Like, wow, what a blessing from God. I mean, yeah, dude, I'm thankful for the little things. I'm thankful for the big things. Do you understand that God gives us all these good things in our life? And do you understand how God views you? Don't, don't miss this last part. It says that he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. Jesus is the word. We can talk more about that later. But we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Not the rainforests, not the heavens. You are the favorite thing that God ever made. He looks at you and he loves you. So the fifth question for you, just to ask yourself, do I grasp how God views me? Do I grasp how God views me? I think some of us are really good at, at zeroing in on every imperfection about ourselves. We know every deficiency about ourselves, either our attitude, our physical appearance. And some of us just, man, we give ourselves such a hard time. And I want you to understand that you, out of all creation, are God's prized possession. He loves you. He created you in his own image, and he gave up his son to die in your place. You matter. And some of you don't even believe that about yourself, but I'm just going to try to believe that enough for the both of us to continue to pray that God will reveal that to you in time. So I hope that, that some of this is helpful for you tonight. Uh, we're going to just continue to read this book. Here's what I would challenge you to do. Go back and just reread some of what we've studied tonight. There's clearly a lot of different sections even within this first piece. Read this book. It's very practical. It's very straightforward. There's not a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot of very practical wisdom that you can take into your day-to-day -day life. You're going to go to groups in just a minute. I'm going to pray for you. You're going to talk through some of this stuff. I hope that it's helpful. Be reading your Bible. Be studying. Come back. This is a great chance for us to grow in our faith. Let me pray for us and we'll go to groups. God, we love you. We thank you that you love us. We have no idea... Uh, even how much you really do love us, but we thank you for what we've read tonight, that we, out of all creation, are your most prized possession. We thank you that you gave your son for us. We thank you that you are there for us. Even when we do give in to temptation, even when we do lack wisdom, even when we do have negative, horrible attitudes, God, you still love us. I pray that you would draw each of us closer to you. Help us to just desire to know you more through your word. God, as we go throughout the series, would you just illuminate your word? Holy Spirit, would you begin to stir inside all of us? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go to groups.